0: Question thirty one, part one of Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Savior. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Savior, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English-Dominican Province Question 31. Of the matter from which the Savior's body was conceived, in eight articles. Part 1. Articles 1 through 4. We have now to consider the Savior's conception, first, as to the matter from which his body was conceived, secondly, as to the author of his conception thirdly, as to the manner and order of his conception. Concerning the first, there are eight points of inquiry. First, whether the flesh of Christ was derived from Adam. Second, whether it was derived from David. Third, of the genealogy of Christ which is given in the Gospels. Fourth, whether it was fitting for Christ to be born of a woman. Fifth, whether his body was formed from the purest blood of the Virgin. Sixth, whether the flesh of Christ was in the patriarchs as to something signet. Seventh, whether the flesh of Christ in the patriarchs was subject to sin. Eighth, whether Christ paid tithes in the loins of Abraham first article whether the flesh of christ was derived from adam objection one it would seem that christ's flesh was not derived from adam for the apostle says in first 1 corinthians fifteen forty seven, the first man was of the earth earthly the second man from heaven heavenly now the first man is adam and the second man is christ therefore christ is not derived from adam but has an origin distinct from him objection to further the conception of christ should have been most miraculous but it is a greater miracle to form man's body from the slime of the earth than from human matter derived from adam it seems therefore unfitting that christ should take flesh from adam therefore the body of christ should not have been formed for the mass of the human race derived from adam but of some other matter objection three further by one man sin entered into the world that is by adam because in him all nations sinned originally as is clear from romans 5:12 but if christ's body was derived from adam he would have been an adam originally when he sinned therefore he would have contracted original sin which is unbecoming in his purity therefore the body of christ was not formed of matter derived from adam on the contrary the apostle says in hebrews two sixteen, nowhere doth he that is the son of god take hold of the angels but of the seed of Abraham he taketh hold. But the seed of Abraham was derived from Adam. Therefore, Christ's body was formed of matter derived from Adam. I answer that Christ assumed human nature in order to cleanse it of corruption. But human nature did not need to be cleansed save in as far as it was soiled, in its tainted origin whereby it was descended from adam therefore it was becoming that he should assume flesh of matter derived from adam that the nature itself might be healed by the assumption reply to objection one the second man that is christ is said to be of heaven not indeed as to the matter from which his body was formed but either as to the virtue whereby it was formed, or even as to his very Godhead. But as to matter, Christ's body was earthly, as Adam's body was. Reply to Objection 2 As stated above in Question 29, Article 1, Second Reply The mystery of Christ's incarnation is miraculous, not as ordained to strengthen faith, But as an article of faith and therefore in the mystery of the incarnation we do not seek that which is most miraculous as in those miracles that are wrought for the confirmation of faith but what is most becoming to divine wisdom and most expedient for the salvation of man since this is what we seek in all matters of faith it may also be said that in the mystery of the incarnation The miracle is not only in reference to the matter of the conception, but rather in respect of the manner of the conception and birth, inasmuch as a virgin conceived and gave birth to God. Reply to Objection 3. As stated above in question 15, article 1, second reply, Christ's body was in Adam in respect of a bodily substance, that is to say, that the corporeal matter of Christ's body was derived from Adam, but it was not there by reason of seminal virtue, because it was not conceived from the seed of man. Thus it did not contract original sin, as others who are descended from Adam by man's seed. Second article whether Christ took flesh of the seed of David objection one it would seem that christ did not take flesh of the seed of david for matthew in tracing the genealogy of christ brings it down to joseph but joseph was not christ's father as shown above in question twenty eight article one first and second reply therefore it seems that christ was not descended from david objection to further Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, as related in Exodus 6. Now Mary, the mother of Christ, is called the cousin of Elizabeth, who was a daughter of Aaron, as is clear from Luke 1, verse 5 and verse 36. Therefore, since David was of the tribe of Judah, as is shown in Matthew chapter 1, it seems that Christ was not descended from David. Objection 3 further it is written of jeconias in jeremiah twenty two thirty write this man barren for there shall not be a man of his seed that shall sit upon the throne of david whereas of christ it is written in isaiah nine seven he shall sit upon the throne of david therefore christ was not of the seed of jeconias nor consequently of the family of david since Matthew traces the genealogy from David through Jaconius. On the contrary, it is written in Romans 1.3, who was made to him of the seed of David according to the flesh. I answer that Christ is said to have been the son especially of two of the patriarchs, Abraham and David, as is clear from Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. There are many reasons for this. First, to these especially, was the promise made concerning Christ. For it was said to Abraham in Genesis 22.18, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Which words the Apostle expounds of Christ in Galatians 3.16, To Abraham were the promises made, and to his seed. He saith not, And to his seeds, as of many, but as of one and to thy seed which is christ and to david it was said in psalm 131 verse 11 of the fruit of thy womb i will set upon thy throne wherefore the jewish people receiving him with kingly honor said in matthew 21 9 hosanna to the son of david a second reason is because christ was to be king prophet and priest now Abraham was a priest, which is clear from the Lord, saying unto him, in Genesis fifteen nine, Take thee a cow of three years old, etc. He was also a prophet, according to Genesis 20, verse 7. He is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. Lastly, David was both king and prophet. A third reason is because circumcision had its beginning in Abraham, while in David God's election was most clearly made manifest, according to 1 Kings 13.14, The Lord hath sought him a man according to his own heart. And consequently, Christ is called in a most special way the Son of Both, in order to show that he came for the salvation both of the circumcised and of the elect among the Gentiles. reply to objection one faustus the manichean argued thus in the desire to prove that christ is not the son of david because he was not conceived of joseph in whom matthew's genealogy terminates augustine answered this argument thus in against faustus 22 since the same evangelist affirms that joseph was mary's husband and that christ's mother was a virgin and that christ was of the seed of abraham what must we believe but that Mary was not a stranger to the family of David, and that it is not without reason that she was called the wife of Joseph, by reason of the close alliance of their hearts, although not mingled in the flesh, and that the genealogy is traced down to Joseph rather than to her, by reason of the dignity of the husband. So, therefore, we believe that Mary was also of the family of David, because we believe the scriptures, which assert both that Christ was of the seed of David according to the flesh, and that Mary was his mother, not by sexual intercourse, but retaining her virginity. For as Jerome says on Matthew 1.18, Joseph and Mary were of the same tribe, wherefore he was bound by law to marry her, as she was his kinswoman. Hence it was that they were enrolled together at Bethlehem as being descended, from the same stock reply to objection to gregory of nansiansum answers this objection by saying that it happened by god's will that the royal family was united to the priestly race so that christ who is both king and priest should be born of both according to the flesh wherefore aaron who was the first priest according to the law married a wife of the tribe of judah elizabeth daughter of animadab it is therefore possible that elizabeth's father married a wife of the family of david through whom the blessed virgin mary who was of the family of david would be a cousin of elizabeth or conversely and with greater likelihood that the blessed mary's father who was of the family of david married a wife of the family of aaron again it may be said with augustine that if Joachim, Mary's father, was of the family of Aaron, as the heretic Faustus pretended to prove from certain apocryphal writings, then we must believe that Joachim's mother, or else his wife, was of the family of David, so long as we say that Mary was in some way descended from David. Reply to Objection 3. As Ambrose says on Luke 3.25, this prophetical passage does not deny that a posterity will be born of the seed of Jaconius, and so Christ is of his seed. Neither is the fact that Christ reigned contrary to prophecy, for he did not reign with worldly honor, since he declared, My kingdom is not of this world. Third Article whether christ's genealogy is suitably traced by the evangelists objection one it would seem that christ's genealogy is not suitably traced by the evangelists for it is written in isaiah fifty three eight who shall declare his generation therefore christ's genealogy should not have been set down objection to further One man cannot possibly have two fathers, but Matthew says that Jacob begot Joseph the husband of Mary, whereas Luke says that Joseph was the son of Eli. Therefore, they contradict one another. Objection 3 further. There seem to be divergencies between them on several points, for Matthew, at the commencement of his book, beginning from Abraham and coming down to Joseph, enumerates 42 generations whereas luke sets down christ's genealogy after his baptism and beginning from christ traces the series of generations back to god counting in all seventy-seven generations the first and last included it seems therefore that their accounts of christ's genealogy do not agree objection for further we read In Fourth Kings eight twenty four that Joram begot Ochosias, who was succeeded by his son Joas, who was succeeded by his son Amazius, after whom reigned his son Azarias called Ozias, who was succeeded by his son Joathan. But Matthew says that Joram begot Ozias, therefore it seems that his account of Christ's genealogy is unsuitable, since he omits. Three kings in the middle thereof. Objection five: Further, all those who are mentioned in Christ's genealogy had both a father and a mother, and many of them had brothers also. Now, in Christ's genealogy, Matthew mentions only three mothers, namely Tamar, Ruth, and the wife of Urias. He also mentions the brothers of Judas and Jaconias, and also Pharez and Zara. But Luke mentions none of these. Therefore, the evangelists seem to have described the genealogy of Christ in an unsuitable manner. On the contrary, the authority of Scripture suffices. I answer that as is written in 2 Timothy 3.16, all holy Scripture is inspired of God, etc. Now what is done by God is done in perfect order, according to Romans 13.1. Those that are of God are ordained. Therefore, Christ's genealogy is set down by the evangelists in a suitable order. Reply to Objection 1. As Jerome says on Matthew 1, Isaiah speaks of the generation of Christ's Godhead whereas matthew relates the generation of christ in his humanity not indeed by explaining the manner of the incarnation which is also unspeakable but by enumerating christ's forefathers from whom he was descended according to the flesh reply to objection to various answers have been made by certain writers to the subjection which was raised by julian the apostate for some, as Gregory of Nanciansum, say that the people mentioned by the two evangelists are the same but under different names, as though they each had two. But this will not stand, because Matthew mentions one of David's sons, namely Solomon, whereas Luke mentions another, namely Nathan, who according to the history were clearly brothers, according to Second Kings 5.14. Wherefore, others said that Matthew gave the true genealogy of Christ, while Luke gave the suppositous genealogy. Hence he began, being as it was supposed the son of Joseph. For among the Jews there were some who believed that, on account of the crimes of the kings of Judah, Christ would be born of the family of David, not through the kings, but through some other line of private individuals others again have supposed that matthew gave the forefathers according to the flesh whereas luke gave these according to the spirit that is, righteous men who are called christ's forefathers by likeness of virtue but an answer is given in the questions on the old and new testament to the effect that we are not to understand that joseph is said by luke to be the son of heli but that at the time of christ heli and joseph were differently descended from david Hence Christ is said to have been supposed to be the son of Joseph, and also to have been the son of Heli, as though the evangelist were to say that Christ, from the fact that he was the son of Joseph, could be called the son of Heli, and of all those who are descended from David. As the Apostle says in Romans 9.5, Of whom is Christ according to the flesh? Augustine again gives three solutions in his questions on the gospel too saying there are three motives by one or another of which the evangelist was guided for either one evangelist mentions joseph's father of whom he was begotten whilst the other gives either his maternal grandfather or some other of his later forefathers or one was joseph's natural father the other is father by adoption or according to the jewish custom one of those having died without children, a near relation of his married wife, the son born of the latter union being reckoned as the son of the former, which is a kind of legal adoption, as Augustine himself says, in the Consensus of the Evangelists, too. The last motive is the truest. Jerome also gives it, commenting on Matthew one sixteen, and Eusebius of Caesarea in his Church History 1.7, says that it is given by Africanus the historian. For these writers say that Mathan and Melchi at different times each begot a son of one and the same wife named Estha. For Mathan, who traced his descent through Solomon, had married her first and died leaving one son, whose name was Jacob, and after his death, as the law did not forbid his widow to remarry, Melchi, who traced his descent through Mathen, being of the same tribe, though not of the same family as Mathan, married his widow, who bore him a son called Heli, so that Jacob and Heli were uterine brothers born to different fathers. Now one of these, Jacob, on his brother Heli dying without issue, married the latter's widow, according to the prescription of the law, of whom he had a son Joseph, who by nature was his own son, but by law was accounted the son of Heli wherefore matthew says jacob begot joseph whereas luke who is giving the legal genealogy speaks of no one as begetting and although damascene in on the true faith four says that the blessed virgin mary was connected with joseph in as far as heli was accounted as his father for he says that she was descended from Melchi. yet must we also believe that she was in some way descended from solomon through these patriarchs enumerated by Matthew, who has said to have set down Christ's genealogy according to the flesh, and all the more since Ambrose states that Christ was of the seed of Jaconius. Reply to Objection 3. According to Augustine, in the Consensus of the Evangelists 2, Matthew purposed to delineate the royal personality of Christ, Luke the priestly personality so that in Matthew's genealogy is signified the assumption of our sins by our Lord Jesus Christ, inasmuch as by his carnal origin he assumed the likeness of sinful flesh. But in Luke's genealogy the washing away of our sins is signified, which is effected by Christ's sacrifice. For which reason Matthew traces the generations downwards, Luke upwards. For the same reason, too, Matthew descends from David through Solomon, in whose mother David sinned, whereas Luke ascends to David through Nathan, through whose namesake, the prophet, God expiated his sin. And hence it is also noted that, because Matthew wished to signify that Christ had condescended to our moral nature, he set down the genealogy of Christ at the very outset of his gospel, beginning with Abraham and descending to Joseph and the birth of Christ himself. Luke, on the contrary, sets forth Christ's genealogy not at the outset, but after Christ's baptism, and not in the descending, but in the ascending order, as though giving prominence to the office of the priest in expiating our sins, to which John bore witness, saying, Behold him who taketh away the sin of the world. And in the ascending order he passes abraham and continues up to god to whom we are reconciled by cleansing and expiating with reason too he follows the origin of adoption because by adoption we become children of god whereas by carnal generation the son of god became the son of man moreover he shows sufficiently that he does not say that joseph was the son of heli as though begotten by him but because he was adopted by him since he says that Adam was the son of God, inasmuch as he was created by God. Again, the number 40 pertains to the time of our present life, because of the four parts of the world in which we pass this mortal life under the rule of Christ. And 40 is the product of 4 multiplied by 10, while 10 is the sum of the numbers from 1 to 4 the number 10 may also refer to the Decalogue, and the number 4 to the present life, or again to the four Gospels, according to which Christ reigns in us. And thus, Matthew putting forward the royal personality of Christ enumerates 40 persons not counting him, as Augustine states in the Consensus of the Evangelists, too. But this is to be taken on the supposition. That it be the same Jaconius at the end of the second and at the commencement of the third series of fourteen, as Augustine understands it. According to him, this was done in order to signify that under Jaconius there was a certain defection to strange nations during the Babylonian captivity, which also foreshadowed the fact that Christ would pass from the Jews to the Gentiles. On the other hand, Jerome, commenting on Matthew 1. Verses twelve through fifteen says that there were two Joachims that is Jaconius, father and son, both of whom are mentioned in Christ's genealogy, so as to make clear the distinction of the generations which the evangelist divides into three series of fourteen, which amounts in all to forty-two persons, which number may also be applied to the Holy Church, for it is the product of six which signifies the labour of the present life and seven, which signifies the rest of the life to come, for six times seven are forty-two. The number fourteen, which is the sum of ten and four, can also be given the same signification as that given to the number forty, which is the product of the same numbers by multiplication. But the number used by Luke in Christ's genealogy signifies the generality of sins. For the number 10 is shown in the 10 precepts of the law to be the number of righteousness. Now to sin is to go beyond the restriction of the law. And 11 is the number beyond 10. And 7 signifies universality because universal time is involved in 7 days. Now 7 times 11 are 77 so that this number signifies the generality of sins which are taken away by christ reply to objection for as jerome says on matthew one verses eight and eleven because joram allied himself with the family of the most wicked jezebel therefore his memory is omitted down to the third generation lest it should be inserted among the holy predecessors of the nativity Hence, as chrysostom says just as great was the blessing conferred on jehu who wrought vengeance on the house of Ahab and jezebel so also great was the curse on the house of joram through the wicked daughter of Ahab and jezebel so that until the fourth generation his posterity is cut off from the number of the kings according to exodus twenty verse five i shall visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations. It must also be observed that there were other kings who sinned and are mentioned in Christ's genealogy, but their impiety was not continuous. For as it is stated in the book in the questions on the Old and New Testament, question 85, Solomon through his father's merits is included in the series of kings, and Roboam through the merits of Asa, who was his son, to his Roboam's son, Abiam. But the impiety of those three was continuous. Reply to Objection 5. As Jerome says on Matthew 1, 3, None of the holy women are mentioned in the Saviour's genealogy, but only those whom Scripture censures, so that he who came for the sake of sinners, by being born of sinners, might blot out all sin. Thus Tamar is mentioned, who is censured for her sin with her father-in-law, Rahab, who was a whore, Ruth, who was a foreigner, and Bethsabah, the wife of Urias, who was an adulteress. The last, however, is not mentioned by name, but is designated through her husband, both on account of his sin, for he was cognizant of the adultery and murder, and further in order that, by mentioning the husband by name, David's sin might be recalled. And because Luke purposes to delineate Christ as the expiator of our sins, he makes no mention of these women. But he does mention Judah's brethren in order to show that they belong to God's people, whereas Ishmael, the brother of Isaac, and Esau, or Jacob's brother, were cut off from God's people, and for this reason are not mentioned in Christ's genealogy. Another motive was to show the emptiness of pride of birth, for many of Judah's brethren were born of handmaidens, and yet all were patriarchs and heads of tribes. Phares and Zara are mentioned together, because as Ambrose says on Luke 3.23, they are the type of the twofold life of man, one according to the law, signified by Zara; the other by faith, of which Pharez is the type. The brethren of Jeconius are included, because they all reigned at various times, which was not the case with other kings, or again, because they were alike in wickedness and misfortune. Fourth article. Whether the matter of Christ's body should have been taken from a woman. Objection 1. It would seem that the matter of Christ's body should not have been taken from a woman for the male sex is more noble than the female but it was most suitable that christ should assume that which is perfect in human nature therefore it seems that he should not have taken flesh from a woman but rather from man just as eve was formed from the rib of a man objection to further whoever is conceived of a woman is shut up in her womb but it ill becomes god who fills heaven and earth as is written in jeremiah twenty three twenty four to be shut up within the narrow limits of the womb therefore it seems that he should not have been conceived of a woman objection three further those who are conceived of a woman contract a certain uncleanness as is written in job twenty five four can man be justified compared with god for he that is born of a woman appear clean, but it was unbecoming that any uncleanness should be in Christ, for he is the wisdom of God, of whom it is written in Wisdom 7:25 that no defiled thing cometh into her. Therefore, it does not seem right that he should have taken flesh from a woman. On the contrary, it is written in Galatians 4:4. 4, 4, god sent his son made of a woman i answer that although the son of god could have taken flesh from whatever matter he willed it was nevertheless most becoming that he should take flesh from a woman first because in this way the entire human nature was ennobled hence augustine says in his eighty three questions question eleven it was suitable that man's liberation should be made manifest in both sexes. Consequently, since it behooved a man being of the nobler sex to assume, it was becoming that the liberation of the female sex should be manifested in that man being born of a woman. Secondly, because thus the truth of the Incarnation is made evident, wherefore Ambrose says in On the Incarnation 6, Thou shalt find in Christ many things both natural and supernatural. In accordance with nature he was within the womb, notably of a woman's body. But it was above nature that a virgin should conceive and give birth, that thou mightest believe that he was God, who was renewing nature, and that he was a man, who according to nature was being born of a man. And Augustine says in a letter, if Almighty God had created a man formed otherwise than in a mother's womb, and had suddenly produced him to sight, would he not have strengthened an erroneous opinion, and made it impossible for us to believe that he had become a true man? And whilst he is doing all things wondrously, he would have taken away that which he accomplished in mercy. But now he, the mediator between God and man, has so shown himself, That uniting both natures in the unity of one person he has given a dignity to ordinary by extraordinary things and tempered the extraordinary by the ordinary thirdly because in this fashion the begetting of man is accomplished in every variety of manner for the first man was made from the slime of the earth without the concurrence of man or woman eve was made of man but not of woman and other men are made from both man and woman so that this fourth manner remained as it were proper to christ that he should be made of a woman without the concurrence of a man reply to objection one the male sex is more noble than the female and for this reason he took human nature in the male sex but lest the female sex should be despised, it was fitting that he should take flesh of a woman. Hence Augustine says in On Christian Struggle 11, Men, despise not yourselves. The Son of God became a man. Despise not yourselves, women. The Son of God was born of a woman. Reply to Objection 2 Augustine thus replies to Faustus, Who urged this objection by no means says he does the catholic faith which believes that christ the son of god was born of a virgin according to the flesh suppose that the same son of god was so shut up in his mother's womb as to cease to be elsewhere as though he no longer continued to govern heaven and earth as though he had withdrawn himself from the father but you manichaeans being of a mind that admits of naught but material things are utterly unable to grasp these things for again as he says in his other letter it belongs to the sense of man to form conceptions only through tangible bodies none of which can be entire everywhere because they must of necessity be diffused through their innumerable parts in various places for otherwise is the nature of the soul from that of the body how much more the nature of God, the creator of soul and body. He is able to be entire everywhere and to be contained in no place. He is able to come without moving from the place where he was and to go without leaving the spot whence he came. Reply to Objection 3. There is no uncleanness in the conception of man from a woman as far as this is the work of God wherefore it is written in Acts 10.15, That which God hath cleansed, do not thou call common, that is, unclean. There is, however, a certain uncleanness therein, resulting from sin, as far as lustful desire accompanies conception by sexual union. But this was not the case with Christ as shown above in question 28, article 1. But if there were any uncleanness therein, The word of god would not have been sullied thereby for he is utterly unchangeable wherefore augustine says in against the five heresies number five god saith the creator of man what is it that troubles thee in my birth i was not conceived by lustful desire i made myself a mother of whom to be born if the sun's rays can dry up the filth in the drain And yet not be defiled, much more can the splendor of eternal light cleanse whatever it shines upon, but itself cannot be sullied. End of question thirty one, part one, read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.